everyone. Welcome to the True Crime Podcast, where we focus mostly on San Diego cases. I'm Renette. And I'm Arena. And today I will be talking about a case, um, the case of Jason Harper. Oh, I've never heard. Is that local? Yes. So this is a case from Carlsbad. So mm-hmm. it is a local case. Uh, technically, it is San Diego case. And um, but I'm kind of nervous, Renette. It's been so long since I did a case. Usually when I hop on to record with you, I'm just like chilling, sipping on my bubbly water, being like, all I have to do is listen to Renette's story and ask her questions and it's going to be great. And now I'm like, oh, God. (laughs) Well, now I feel like, oh, this is great. Like, as you know, I just came back from Turf Club, had a cocktail over there. Now I'm at home sipping on my wine. I'm like, this is great. I don't feel like pressure to like make sure that (laughs) I remember everything about the case. This is just wonderful. Sitting back, drinking my wine, listening to you. So now the pressure is on you, Irina. Okay, great. Well, oh, and also (laughs) thank God, because we are recording a little later than usual mm-hmm. but around this time i usually smoke a little bit just to like smoke. relax and no i can't i can't not when i'm doing the story and i was like uh, don't be a weenie no way dude if you saw me smoke and i tried to talk about a case i would just be like uh and it would just constantly lose my place i would forget things i would say dumb things which probably is gonna happen anyway but you were sweet well, next time you, because don't you and Denise have your like little video chats while you guys are both like smoking and stuff yeah, like that? Okay, yeah. Next time you guys need to call me. I don't smoke, but I drink. And so <laughs> I could be drunk and then you guys can be stoned. That's funny. We've actually recorded ourselves a couple of times, like just being stoned. <laughs> anyway, okay. So yes, we're going to be talking about Jason Harper, um, a little bit about him he loved sports, specifically volleyball and the outdoors. He uh, played volleyball at UCLA. He was extremely tall. He was okay. six feet, six inches tall. Oh, wow. Yeah. Gosh. He, I know. He was extremely tall. All of his friends, especially in the volleyball team, were also very tall. Um, Paul was called Tall Paul, <laughs> and Jeremy was also six seven. Okay. And so uh, they described him as a very kind and very typical Southern Cali guy who always wanted to have a good time and he loved to surf and play games and was just a fun dude to be around. Okay. Um, but apart from that, he was actually really quiet and shy around women and he didn't have that much game. <laughs> he was just kind of like bad at dating or picking up signals or flirting. So uh, his <laughs> friends kind of make fun of him for that. <laughs> Wait, uh, what year? Or what year was he born? Oh, okay. Well, let me do the math. <laughs> <laughs> or what year did the crime take place? Okay, so the crime took place in 2012. Okay, so not that long ago. Yeah, yeah. And um, hold on. Actually, I can do the math because. Oh, he was born in 1973. Okay. Okay. And in the year 2000, J- Jason met a girl named Julie at a party. And this was four years after Hold he up, graduated. Hold up, J names. They always say a thing about J names. They are not yes. to be trusted. But okay, really? go ahead. That's what they say? Yeah. Oh, one of my best friends about. is named Julie. And you just hung well, my I was with my girl, Julie. <laughs> but know. then you know Joel, his name's... I know. <laughs> Wait. Well, that's a good example for the not exactly. <laughs> exactly. But go ahead, Irina. Sorry to interrupt you. It's funny you said that because that's actually a little bit of a theme in this case, the J names. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, Jason met Julie. This was four years after he graduated from UCLA. And they immediately fell really hard for one another. And then three months after they started dating, Jason proposed Wow, that's really fast. Three months. And this is 2000. This isn't, you know, back in the day, it's like you meet someone that you think looks pretty and then you just propose to them. So Right, right. Um, Julie was Jason's first quote unquote real girlfriend because he was the first person he said I love you to. 
And his friends were really wary that he was moving too quick and that he wasn't really sure what he was doing. Um, and But he, Jason kept telling him, no, I'm in love with her. I want to marry this woman and have a family with her. Okay. So they're like, okay. And um, they got married at the Hotel Del Coronado. Ooh, fancy. Yeah, very fancy. And they had a, the reception in this big ballroom, and it was just super glamorous and super nice. Mm-hmm. Then they moved to Carlsbad. Jason, Jason, I don't know why I said <laughs> Jason became a math teacher and a volleyball coach at Carlsbad High School. Okay. And there he made another friend who um, was also very, very tall. He was six foot nine inches tall. Oh my God. <laughs> and he was a teacher at the same school. His name was Andy, and his wife, Krista, also worked at the school as a teacher. Okay. So Andy and Jason would hang out a lot. They would play basketball together, go surfing, play poker. Um, but then they they would hang out almost every day. Uh, but then Jason and Julie began having kids shortly after. Um, they had two kids um, about two years apart from one another, Jake and Jackie. <laughs> the J names. Yep. <laughs> Jake and Jackie. So um, – Jason was said to be a very great dad. He always put the kids first. And, um, you know, before he was always going out and having fun with friends and stuff. But as soon as the kids came around and started to kind of stay indoors and not really um, hang out with friends as much anymore. He would still participate. That's how it is. Yeah, yeah. Which is understandable. But a lot of times his friends were kind of like the friends that didn't have kids were wanting to still hang out, but he was always like, no, no, I got to go home to Julie. I got to take care of the kids. Yeah. And, um, but he was still like participating in the community and would still help out with the kids like sports and stuff. And then Jason and Julie moved to a brand new gated community in Carlsbad, not far from the beach called Terraces at Sunny Creek Mm -hmm. and a very, very nice, super fancy neighborhood. Julie, uh, she was a stay-at-home mom, and she was also in charge of a lot of organizations in the community, and she always organized events and activities, especially with parents and young children. But God, on a teacher's salary to be able to move into this, like, gated community in Carlsbad? But this was, you know, in, what, 2012, so? Yeah, this was in 2012, and even though that wasn't... I mean, technically not that long ago. No. But um, I think because I, I'm i pretty sure Julie had, like, family money. And, oh, okay. yeah, and I think she was basically – I don't know. There weren't many specifics on how she got her money, but they weren't struggling. They, like okay. – I guess they just did pretty well. Yeah. And um, in 2011, they had their third child, and they named him Joshua. <laughs> Another J name. Yeah. <laughs> There's just some people, my aunt, she stuck with all of her ch- four children's names to start with the letter R. So, oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I know a few families that do that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and after Joshua was born, um, a lot of friends and family were saying that Julie didn't seem to be the same as she was before. She became very distant. She started to avoid people more. Um, But Jason was still very active and in the kids' lives and stuff like that. But the neighbors did begin to notice something was off about Julie, but they didn't really know what. I wonder if it was like postpartum depression, if her hormones kind of went out of whack. Because I know after I gave birth to Aiden, Mm -hmm. um, I started having like a whole lot of anxiety. And it was like, I remember even really hard for me because I was a stay-at-home mom. So even going to like the grocery store, I would get like all of this anxiety that I just never had before. So yeah, I wonder if it was something to do with that. But I'm sure you'll tell me more as the story goes on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I understand that too. Like, um, and being like stuck inside home sometimes for a long period. Yeah, yeah. And you can start to get a little bit of agoraphobia. You're kind of like scared of going outdoors, especially by yourself. Right. But um, but yeah, so then the early morning of August 7th, 2012, Neighbors woke up to police and a bunch of caution tape all over the Harper house where mm. Jason and Julie lived. Mm-hmm. The police told the neighbors that they couldn't tell them too much, but that they had found a body in the upstairs bedroom. 
No. So they immediately were concerned, wondering where the kids were, if everything was okay. Apparently, um, they did find out that Julie and the kids were missing and that Jason's body was the one that was found upstairs. Oh, my God. So Jason um, was found shot and covered under a blanket and other random items and debris that were in the bedroom. He was like, like someone was hiding him. Right. Uh, mind you, he was only 39 years old. Oh, my gosh. With three babies, basically. Little kids. Yeah. Um, Julie and the kids were missing. Everyone was extremely worried, wondering where they were, if something happened, if they were burglarized, you know, and then the kids were kidnapped with Julie. Mm-hmm. Um, the Carlsbad Police Department didn't tell them this, but they had gotten a call the night before, August 11th, at 11 p.m., from an attorney, very, very well-known attorney in San Diego, Paul Finkst, to do a welfare chair, welfare check. <laughs> welfare check. <laughs> Are you the one drinking arenas at me? No. <laughs> That's me. Welfare check on the Harper residence. And once I saw this name Finkst, I was like, oh, I think he popped up in one or two of my cases in the past. What he- is his name? Paul Finkst. Last name is P-F-I-N-G-S-T. Finkst. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, he was uh, very well known. He was an ex, at the time, he was an ex-DA. And um, during this crime, he was a criminal defense attorney. Okay. And yeah, and a lot of detectives and police knew him in San Diego. Mm-hmm. So he was the one who called the police and said, do a welfare check. And the police were kind of confused. He also used an internal line to call the police. He did not call 911, where usually the call would be recorded. So he called oh. like a personal inside line to do this. Huh. Um, that's when the police... Is that something, hold on, that attorneys normally have this like personal... Oh, well, maybe, right? Like I this think pers- they do, especially this guy who everyone's like... Mm-hmm. He probably has talked to or done a case with, at least once with every police officer and detective on the force. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so um, that was just something noted that I was kind of like, oh, okay. Well, like it was something like trying to be a little sneaky so that... I don't know. I don't know. Anyway... Um, but they did not do the welfare check. They did. Oh, they did. That's why. Um, so that was that night, like really late 11 PM. And that's why in the morning there was caution. Uh, neighbors woke up to caution tape all over their house. Oh, shoot. The police they did it until the next morning to do it. Yeah. They, they went out in the very, very early hours and, um, they, they, uh, went to do the welfare check. No one answered the door, but when they were able to enter the door, apparently the place was just like open. Mm-hmm. And that's when the police found the body and noticed that the wife and the kids were gone. Right. Um, the police asked Fingst afterwards where the Julie, where was Julie and the kids? He told them that they were all fine and they were all safe, but that Julie is now his new client. Oh my God. So, <laughs> Finks uh, arranged for the three children to be sent to a local children's hospital in the meantime uh, to be looked after and treated because of the trauma that they went through that I'll explain later, apparently. Um, And um, let's see, Julie was currently staying at her father's house about 30 miles away from uh, their family home. Okay. So... Julie never spoke to the police, never spoke to any detective, no reporters or anything. But the attorney, Paul Finks, he did speak to local reporters saying, quote, she's very upset. She's upset about her children. She's upset about her health. She's upset about basically at this point, her life is in shambles. She's just a catastrophe and it's a catastrophe all the way around, unquote. Mm -hmm. So neither Julie nor the attorney would say what happened to Jason at all then that's when they launched the investigation. Um, specialists interviewed the two oldest children, which by this time, Jack and Jackie were, I'm sorry, Jake and Jackie were eight and six years old. Okay. They both stated that um, the day started out like any other regular day and that they were just watching TV downstairs and eating their breakfast but then somewhere between um, nine, 8 and 9 a.m., they heard a loud thud upstairs. Okay. 
like yeah, a little bit of yelling, a thud, and then nothing. Oh no, that's not good. Yeah, and so then very shortly after, uh, Julie took the kids um, and took them to a coffee shop. A neighbor did say that she did confirm she saw Julie leaving with the kids at around nine o five a.m. Okay. And she took them to a coffee shop and then took them to a kids' play place filled with bouncy houses. Okay. So, yeah, she's just like taking the kids out. I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> On August 9th, which was two days after the shooting, a medical examiner performed an autopsy. They recovered the bullet that killed Jason, which came from a 38 caliber handgun. Mm-hmm. Police found a gun in the Harper home, but it was not the same gun that killed Jason. Okay. Yeah. So let's see. So at this point, the police are struggling. They don't have a murder weapon. The main suspect is not speaking to anyone whatsoever and is being very protected by the attorney. The attorney, yeah. Yeah. And they also need to figure out a motive. Like, why would Julie, the main suspect, want to kill her husband? Like, why would she do all this? Mm Mm-hmm. So that's when the Carlsbad detectives began interviewing friends, family members, neighbors um, about the Harpers. One year prior to Jason's death, Julie sent envelopes to a friend for safekeeping. And these envelopes contained journals, writings, bank statements, and personal history diaries. Okay. So these bank statements, what were in the bank statements? So like... Why the yeah. bank statements? So the bank statements, it did reveal that um, Julie was basically slowly starting to take withdraw money out of accounts that she shouldn't have. Oh, okay. um, they do. Police do find that. Um, that Hold on. And the personal diaries, they came from Julie or for from Jason? From Julie. Okay. Yeah. In, in these diaries, Julie did write that Jason yelled at her a lot. They were having a bunch of issues in their marriage, and she was considering divorce. And this was a okay. year prior. So um, basically, their marriage was falling apart, but no one really knew about it. Like, not the family or friends. Apparently, the friends also said that Jason was very um, per- private, and he okay. didn't like to talk about Julie. He never said any bad words about her or anything he always just said no we're fine yeah yeah so we don't know what goes on behind closed doors so yeah and it's unfortunate that he didn't reach out because something probably could have been stopped or helped right right um so uh jason's friends and co-workers yeah they did also say again that they did notice that julie started acting odd once their third child was born and she was being very um kind of uh, a recluse and she wasn't going out as much anymore. And since the marriage was falling apart, arrangements were being made. Uh, they did find out that Jason's parents actually bought a house near Carlsbad that had enough space for Jason and the kids for when he was going to move out. And Julie filed for divorce five days before Jason's death. Oh, shoot. Okay. So all this is coming out. And yeah. that same week, that she filed for divorce, she made some unusual financial transactions again. These were big ones, though, like very noticeable. She withdrew $10,000 out of a dormant account that was under her daughter's name, Jackie. Oh, yeah, there's something going on <laughs> like, shady with that shit. Yeah. Know, she took money out of her daughter's like little That's savings account. That's so fucked up. He's like, maybe this is for you when you go to school and college or want to buy a car, but mommy needs this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's needs so a vacation. fucked up. Yeah. Um, and then police also found that Julie wrote two $4,500 checks to herself against the credit card in Jason's name. <laughs> oh, my God. What an idiot. I know. Like, what does she think she's doing? So basically she had almost, it was $39,000 in cash on her within the week before he died. Um, Julie's father, oh, like I said, yeah, he lived about 30 miles away. That's where she was staying during the incident. And she stayed there for the rest of until 
you know, all the while the investigation was going on. Mm-hmm. Sergeant Jeff Smith, um, who was working the case, he obtained a search warrant for John's house. John is um, Julie's father. And they didn't find anything, which was unfortunate. They really thought they were going to find something. And they did find guns in the house, but they were all owned by John. And none of them were the guns that fired the bullet that killed Jason. Right. But Sergeant Jeff Smith did have an inkling. He was like, something's going on. Like, something's up. Something was very prepared. And he was like, and they knew this was going to happen. So I mean, if the attorney called the night before and said to go do a wellness check, like, come on. So And then, like, for her to even go and withdraw $10,000 that was for her daughter's savings account and then two checks for, like, $4,500 it was that you said, come on. Yeah. I know all this preparation. Um, so then Sergeant Jeff Smith, eight days later after the first search where they didn't find anything, eight days mm-hmm. later, he got another search warrant as surprise. And he, they went back to John's house and they found something. But they <laughs> so up in the attic area, like kind of above the garage there in the very, very, very back corner, there was a blue backpack that was not there before. So it was in between the two searches. And in this blue backpack, they found Julie's wallet, her ID, credit cards, passport, a different brand new gun, Jason's last will and testament, Jason's (gasps) cell phone with the battery removed and all the text and call history logs deleted. Oh, my God. And so this was basically a getaway bag. Right, right. Um, so this was a big red flag. Deputy District Attorney Keith Watanabe was assigned to the case. I got excited because I was like, oh, he's Japanese. Yay. I know. I was like, <laughs> God, he said his last name so well. Watanabe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so <laughs> he, um, so he was assigned to this case and he charged Julie Hawk. Julie Harper, I was going to say Jolie Harper, <laughs> Julie Harper with first degree murder against Jason Harper. And of course, Julie pleaded not guilty. Mm-hmm. Like bullshit. I wonder if her parents knew that like she threw this like getaway backpack in their, in their attic. That actually comes up. Yes, okay. actually right now. <laughs> <My notes>. Okay. <laughs> During the preliminary hearing, Julie's father admitted to finding the blue backpack that initially had the $39,000 in it because when the 39,000. Yeah. Remember it was, I thought it was, Oh, wait, I thought it was like $10,000 from the girl. And then, and and then then it would have been an extra $9,000 total. So it should be 19,000. How the hell did they get another almost $20,000? Oops. I did my (laughs) and I'm over here sipping on wine, having cocktail from Turf Club. Lord have mercy. (laughs) It's a typo. I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Unless she added more money. No. Either way, though, nineteen thousand dollars cash is a lot of money to have. That basically isn't hers. Like from her daughter and from her dead husband. Right. Um. So she. Okay, so the dad, John, he mm-hmm. found that blue backpack and he found the money in the backpack. He took it out without saying anything to Julie and he used it to pay the lawyer and to pay for the bail and legal fees. Uh, and okay. so he admitted to this, but only after he was granted immunity after initially pleading the fifth. And yeah. so, and then um, although <laughs> Julie's bail was $2 million dollars, Oh they gosh. used that money that um, the dad found, plus the rest of the family was able to come up with the rest of the money to bail her out. So, of course, her family had money. Yeah, for sure. Money. I don't know, though. Like, I, I, I say this, like, if David, my David or Aiden ever did some shit that I was, you know, if that I knew they did some wrong shit. There's no way I would cover up for them. Yeah. Like, you know, you, you made her bed, lie in that shit. Yeah, for real. And like they were about to get divorced. Mm-hmm. Get divorced. Your life is going to suck for a while, but at least you won't be a murderer. <laughs> like, hello? Right. Yeah. Be the exactly. dad from your children, too. Like, mm-hmm. selfish. So, uh, let's see. 
After more than a year in jail, Julie was released. At this point, she got she made bail, and she moved back into her house, the house where she she murdered her husband. husband. Yes, that house. Oh my god! (laughs) So while she was locked up for a year, like who was paying the mortgage payments? Like, well, I'm sure the the family, the family, yeah, probably both families at this point. God, those poor what three children? Mm -hmm. God, so yeah, they had to deal with like their dad now no longer here and then their mom's like locked up like Mm -hmm. yep yeah sad um so while she's out and about living her best life what she looks like Uh oh yeah she uh she did not age well julie (laughs) harper yes okay so a neighbor michelle she um got a knock on her door one day oh horrendous Uh uh-huh go ahead (laughs) I have the right to say that because yeah. I'm assuming she did some really horrible shit, I know, right? No, and if, okay, go if ahead. Like, up, if you look up Jason, he looks like such a goof. He looks like he's such a goofy looking guy, but he looks so funny and sweet. And I was just like, man, he's like this gumpy dude who's just trying oh, to. Oh, he I does. Know, right? He just looks like a sweet guy, and he was such a good dad, and he was a good teacher and coach and it's like that is so sad he's just one of those people that you just seem he just seems so friendly like he does you like gravitate towards him because he just looks so nice yes (laughs) but yeah i know like opposite of julie basically yeah um so yes her neighbor michelle got a knock at the door one day she opened the door and it was julie and she just goes hi i'm back Hold up. Wait a minute. Imagine <laughs> I just like imagine that happening, knowing yeah. what is going on, because at this time, like it's all over the news, probably like Facebook at that time and all that sort of stuff. Like well, actually crazy. I'd I'd be like, hey, how are you coming? Just so I can get the scoop and be like, <laughs> oh my god, this crazy fucking bitch like came to my house, like acting like she didn't do some shit. Um, well, like, apparently she didn't know that she was out of bail yet. Like, uh, this happened, like, the next day. She was just like, hi, I'm back. And then she goes, we're going to have such a good talk someday when this is all over. And we're going to be best friends again. And Michelle was just like, she didn't even <laughs> in an interview. She was like, I'm speechless. I had no idea what to do or say. She gave me a hug. And she's like, and she just left. And she was like, I didn't say a word. <laughs> He <laughs> was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> so I thought that was kind of like funny, but like, holy crap, if that happened to me. I the balls of her, the balls of her. No shame, no shame at all. She's like, "When this is all over, like, oh, yeah. how do you know how this is going to end?" Mm-hmm. Um. So now the trial is going to begin September two September two thousand fourteen which is two years after Jason's death, Julie went on trial for first-degree murder. Mm -hmm. Uh, Deputy DA Watanabe, he said that the theme and his strategy um, was called the deterioration of Julie Harper. Mm -hmm. And he, I have a quote from him in trial. He says, quote, her life had become a disaster, both in terms of her marriage, her children, her health, her financial state, we believe she was seriously abusing her prescription medication. Look at all these pill bottles. Even though Julie had an autoimmune disease, this proves that she was abusing powerful medication to her advantage. Look at the mess in her bedroom, as if a hoarder lived in there. When Jason's body was found, it was hidden under a blanket surrounded by trash and debris. The bullet that killed him entered from a side rear angle, so he was shot in the back. Julie must have shot Jason between 8 and 9 a.m. while his her kids were downstairs watching cartoons. Neighbors saw Julie leaving just after 9 a.m. and she was at a coffee shop 40 minutes later. She wasn't crying. She wasn't upset. She didn't ask anyone to call 911. It shows that this woman has a calloused heart. She was capable of murdering her own husband and had the wherewithal to be able to be in the public and appear to be completely normal. This was clearly a murder, end quote. Hold on. What um what pills were she t- was she taking, and what autoimmune disease did she have? I don't know what specific autoimmune disease she has, but yeah, she was taking pills for something. And I have a few friends that have autoimmune diseases, like different mm-hmm. kinds, and 
Some of them don't have to take too much because I guess there's different levels of severity. But the ones that do, there's like 10 of them. So yeah. I don't know yeah, what my dad's had. wife, she had um, fibromyalgia. And so mm-hmm. she was on a bunch and, you know, she had passed away. Remember, we were at the bar. Mm-hmm. And so she was on a bunch of like pain medication because her entire mm-hmm. body was like constantly in pain. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, but also like do those medications turn you into a cold-blooded murderer? Like, I know. Those are supposed to just like, I know it can make you almost like drunk-like, right? Some mm-hmm. of them. I don't I don't know. I've never had it. I've never taken yeah. pain medication like or anything like that. So I feel like if you took such powerful medication, like a little too much or like you didn't do the dosage right, I think it can really mess with you. So maybe that's, I think that's what he was trying to get at. Like using okay. an excuse, like what's a, you know, she was obviously- um, abusing these drugs and she, um, you know, acted out, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. And then she, like, she was a stay at home mom. She had three young Mm -hmm. children. Right. Yep. So like maybe her hormones were out of whack. She had like depression. There's still no excuse though. There's still no fucking excuse. So who filed for divorce five days prior? Was it him or her? I forgot. He did. Yeah. He did. She did. Oh, she did. Yeah. So she filed for divorce but apparently they had been talking about it for like a year or so prior, just kind of like always fighting, always like threatening each other with divorce. Yeah. And like I said, he was his parents had bought a house nearby so that at any moment he was going to move out of the house so that they could be separated because they were breaking up, basically. Yeah. So um, at this point, Julie, you know, she still hasn't talked to anyone, but now we're finally going to hear from her. She gets on the stand and... Um, this Paul Finks, her attorney, she was the only witness that he called up. Mm-hmm. She did admit, she said, yes, I did shoot Jason, but it wasn't murder. It was self-defense. Oh, bitch, please. <laughs> you know, damn well, did I have that picture of Jason, like, he's yeah. not capable of that shit. And yes, I'm judging solely based off of his looks. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? And so, I know, and it's, well, you'll see, like, the the um, prosecutor is like, well, he got, first of all, shot in the back, back here. Right. He, um, she didn't call police or anyone. She called her lawyer before ever even like trying to tell anyone that what happened. Right. And she had never called police um, before about like any abuse or anything. And so people were kind of like, how did this like came out of nowhere? And I wonder what did her diary say, right? She turned, she gave her friend or whatever the diaries the year before, like, but it it kind of, in a way, it might not even matter because she can write whatever the hell she wants to write. And she can write all of these lies just to cover for her ass because she could have been thinking about possibly murdering him years in advance. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So yeah, she said that it was self-defense she stated that Jason, who was so beloved by friends and neighbors, was in fact in private a very angry and abusive husband. Um, she stated that they were constantly fighting, arguing, and that because he was such a tall, big man, he was constantly able to just overpower her in every way. Yeah. So um, one and apparently one day, Julie secretly recorded Jason during one of their many arguments over um, money. Okay. And the recording had Jason yelling at Julie about how irresponsible she is and that how he's sick of her terrible spending habits and that her credit is shit and that he's sick of it and he's sick of her. And um, then when she was complaining about how she's going to figure out the carpool situation with the kids and blah, blah, blah. And she was asking him for advice. She, he called her dumb and lazy for not being able to figure it out. And that he was like, I'm done with you. <laughs> I mean, I, I can probably like imagine that he yeah. has every right to say those things. Right. Like, I mean, if it was only him working. Right. And I understand like, she's a stay at home mom. She's taking care of three young kids and that mm-hmm. alone in itself is such hard work. But like, if she was being so irresponsible with yeah. the money mm-hmm. and stuff like that, he probably was just like, fuck like girl yeah. lady, get it together. Like, 
And in the recording, um, it was a video. I only had listened to the recording. Did he um, sound awful? It, no, it's it, he did sound angry, but the mm-hmm. recording started like halfway through a conversation. So we don't know the context of it really. Right. But also the, there was a, apparently there's a video, which I found later. Um, and he was holding the baby, the third child. I forgot. Jake Joshua. Or Joshua, Joshua. Yeah. And he was like telling her like, yelling and pointing at her like i'm sick of your spending this and that and you know and the baby's crying and he's just like and she goes well you keep calling me bad names and he's like well you keep spending all the money and blah 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 and like just yelling at her and he tries to sit down to feed the baby and then Mm -hmm. she's like saying like what am i gonna do about the carpool and blah blah blah. he's like figure it out stop being so dumb and lazy (laughs) he's trying to feed the baby right so yeah it's like you don't hear that part like in the visual obviously you see that but it's like it's all about context because who knows and also it was a private it was supposed to be a private argument between the two of them he wasn't getting physically abusive with her he wasn't you know throwing things at her he was like literally just they were yelling at each other like yes which happens in so many relationships sometimes it's like yeah you're in the heat of the moment right yeah so um all that happened and she they played in the trial that was her defense right she did say that there were times when jason was getting physical with her that at one point he grabbed her arm and wrist and twisted them very hard and she was getting like um but joint pains from like a week after she would cover her arms from the bruising uh she said that uh, after for about a year they were both sleeping in separate bedrooms like choosing to <laughs> not not well you it. know me and sal you know. know our situation on the separate bedrooms and it has been <laughs> the best it. decision we've ever made yeah, we yeah. are happily married <laughs> we still have sex yes yes they but these guys hated each other so yeah, <laughs> that's why exactly <laughs> Sounds um, gonna kill me for saying that, but yeah. <laughs> um he and she did say that there were about over 30 accounts that she could think of over the years of their marriage where he forced himself onto her sexually and that he sexually abused her. So um on I, I l- listen, nobody knows except the two of them, but he probably she probably wasn't they probably were not very intimate with each other. And I can probably imagine he was probably like trying to start mm-hmm. things like so they can be intimate with each other. And maybe she had no sex drive or wasn't attracted to him anymore or whatever it was. Like, poor guy. Like, she probably just wasn't giving it up. I don't know. I'm on Jason, Team Jason. <laughs> well, yeah, the poor guy's dead. He can't even defend himself. <laughs> exactly. And based off of his picture. He seems so nice. And look at her picture. She seems so awful. I mean, she does. Look she really admitted. Awful. She admitted that she yeah. shot him. Like, come yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. So then she continues to go on about her defense of why she shot him. Um, she said that after some time of this happening where he would um, wait, rape her in her bedroom because they were separated, right. um, that she began to – she secretly bought a gun and she stashed it under her pillow. Mm-hmm. So on um, the morning of the shooting, she woke up to Jason yelling and screaming through the door he came into her bedroom yelling, asking where his computer was because he thought that Julie had hidden it. She was like, I don't know what you're talking about. He was so enraged. And she said that he's never looked so angry and red before. And she was really scared. Um, so then he attacked her, started yanking her top off. She said that she was pushing him back, managed to get away and out of his grasp got to the bed where her pillow was, grabbed the gun under the pillow, which was a Derringer uh, .38 caliber. Mm -hmm. She grabbed the gun and had it raised in her, raised up, pointing at him. He Mm -hmm. raised his arms saying like, oh, what are you going to do, kill me? She goes, yeah, I'm going to kill you. And then he goes, oh, yeah, you better fucking do it then, bitch. And then she said that he lunged at her and that, um, her hand jerked and it shot him and that the gun went off. And all she remembered was hearing a loud noise, which I'm like, okay. 
Jason. So it was one shot arena? One shot. Okay. Uh, she stated that for a few seconds, Jason like was still kind of stumbling towards her, but then he stopped, froze, and then fell to the floor. And then he fell like a tree. That's what she said. Um, so Julie's stating that her that she was an abused woman and she shot her husband in self-defense. Yeah. And maybe, right? Like, who knows? Or maybe he did come in that morning upset, yeah. angry, looking for his laptop, right? Mm-hmm. Either way, I, I don't know. I don't think there's any excuse or any reasoning for her to go and shoot, like, shoot him like yeah i don't know shoot him in the leg or somewhere where it's not going to kill him where was the gunshot was it his heart or where was it so it was in his back oh that's right that's Diagonally right in his back. that's right up in his back so so wait hold on yeah. so then did he turn his back <laughs> and that's how like her hand jerked and she shot him exactly it didn't make sense so the this is when the defense came in and mm-hmm. they got to cross-examine her um, uh, D.A. Watanabe said, quote, this was the smartest woman I have ever cross-examined. She was able to think so quick on the spot and on her feet and respond so well. And she won over the jury. Like, because she started getting so emotional every time she was asked a question that she didn't know how to mm. answer. Um, so she defended herself about the pills. She was just like, no, that's not true. This and that. I have prescriptions. I'm not abusing them. When they asked her about Jason attacking her that morning from the front, how did the bullet enter her from the back? So right. the DA was like, I want you to give me a demonstration. And he forced her to get off on the stand. He used one of his um, attorney partners as to, pretending to be Jason. And he's like, please show me how this happened. As soon as she gets up, she just starts bawling her eyes out. She's like, ah, ah. and then they, the, uh, the um, I'm sorry, the, uh, what's her name? Finkst got up and was like, are you okay, sweetheart? Do you need a tissue? And the jury was like, part of the jury was literally just like crying with her. So it was oh, ridiculous. Man. Yeah. And, um, and so after that, they were kind of like, all right, well, I guess we're not doing the demonstration, but it was, it was known like after that. They should have forced that demonstration. I don't think really? the jury forced it. I think he was kind of like, all right, take a seat or like, you know, step down. To, mm-hmm. to the lawyer so um after that he was just kind of like okay well it doesn't make any sense like your story doesn't make sense but okay so after the trial the jury spent two days deliberating um when the judge received a note that said we are unable to reach a verdict as on some of the counts we are deadlocked but mm-hmm. they were able to reach a unanimous verdict on one count um, the jury did find Julie Harper not guilty of first degree murder. So it was not planned out. Yeah. Right. First degree. Yeah. Yeah. So the jury was deadlocked on the count of second degree murder. And then the judge declared a mistrial. So she kind of got what she wanted at that point. A mistrial, man. So with this hung jury, uh, a bail already established, Julie was able to walk out of the courtroom a free woman. What? I know. There's more. There's more. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. And by the way, does this remind you of someone that we've already covered in the past? Because I was like, whoa. Do you remember? Hold on. Who? Betty Roderick. The lady, the one that oh I covered. God, the Mission Hills San Diego woman. Yes. yes. Okay. Wait, she, yes. She shot her husband, stated that it, she was in, that she didn't know where she was shooting. She just shot in a direction. Then she was like, it was self-defense though, because he was abusing me. Right. She yes. was so manipulative. She was intelligent. She yes, had she money. Like she was just getting away with shit. Right. Until the very, right. obviously she got arrested, but she never admitted that it was like an actual first degree murder so right so yes. narcissistic <laughs> yes and so i thought of that i was like oh my god these women but they're best friends um so <laughs> after some time had passed um deputy da watanabe was like he he um was able to schedule a new trial that was mm-hmm. set for six months after uh after hold on oh for the charge of the second degree murder trial 
which was well, scheduled. she's out on bail that entire time. Or yeah, whatever. she's, she's out, out for like okay. six, seven months, which was scheduled to be in April of 2015. Mm-hmm. As Julie was able to move back into her home, all of her neighbors were shocked again. That yeah. and um, they were all shocked and kind of just sick of her because she was just keep wanting to hang out with them and stuff. And she was just like, we just want justice for Jason. They were all on Jason's right. All of them. They were just like, we don't understand how she's even free right now. Does she have the children at that point? No. So right at this point, I think uh, Jason's mom is taking care of the children. Okay. Yeah. The, his family has him. Um, but Julie was hiding another secret. So one month before the next trial was going to begin. She's pregnant. She was pregnant. Seven <gasps> months pregnant. No, by who? And I, t- I, I obviously, ha- I've never heard of this case. Who impregnated, who impregnated her? She got impregnant by inverto fertilization. She deliberately impregnated IVF? Yep. What? And then Watanabe said, quote, she intentionally got pregnant in order to interfere with the retrial. She is really that devious and well-planned and manipulative. What what doctor would would do that? And like... I don't perform think that procedure on her. Like, no, she's crazy. <laughs> and damn, she can't even just go into a bar and like have random get her pregnant. Like, probably not. She's she couldn't find anyone. So, oh my because gosh. of that, the judge had to delay the trial for five more months. Uh, Julie had a baby girl in 2015, which okay. I was so upset. They never released the name of the baby. It had to start with a J. A J. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Do you know, is it a boy or a girl? It was a girl. Okay. Well, let's make Josefina. one up. Josefina. Jasmine. Yeah, Jasmine. Yeah, Jasmine, Josefina. Um, Jalissa. <laughs> I keep thinking of the name Julie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jessica, right? Jessica. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I do have a friend really quick. I know this is just like off subject. <laughs> going well, it's not my friend. It's my, it's a close, a person that's close to me. Her really close friend was incarcerated for murdering her father. <gasps> um, And I know this girl right and she was like super, <laughs> super nice. And she stated that she murdered him like um, because it was like self-defense or whatever. Huh? Anyways, while she was out on bail awaiting her trial, she also got pregnant. So she delivered the baby, though. The way her case went is she delivered the baby while she was incarcerated, so like in prison. Uh And then she served her time. But she's out now, and she's super Christian, and and she's like working. and. Wow. Yeah. Did her name start with a J? No, it starts with the A. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's crazy! Mm-hmm. I'll send you a link to that later. Okay, okay, okay. I want that cheese me. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, let's see. Where am I? So she gave birth to a baby. Yes. So second trial, September of 2015. The read trial began with a new jury, but this time the prosecutor knew what was coming from Julie. He was prepared. He's like, this lady knows what to say and how to say it. So um, this time he had many, many witnesses testify and he asked them if they ever saw any signs of abuse on Julie, like any signs of this and that. Basically what we already talked about and they all said, no, of course not. We never knew. She never mentioned anything like this and that doesn't make any sense. Um, and so Julie went on the stand again and she told them to look through her journals and her private entries and day planner. She said that the word sex was actually code for rape. So, (laughs) but I mean, she can just write whatever she wants. Yeah. Like it doesn't mean whatever she's writing is the truth. Exactly. She could have just made all this up. Mm -hmm. So When asked, like we mentioned before, if she ever called the police about the abuse, she began to cry. And she said that she was just very embarrassed and she didn't want anyone to know about it. And that's why she never reported the abuse. Mm. 
um, the second jury, they all found Julie Harper guilty of second God. degree murder. None of them believed them. They even interviewed some of the jury members and some of them were like, how did the first jury members even like consider letting her go for this? Like, it's obvious. She was crying. She yeah, was they, crying. none of them took her bullshit seriously. Right. Like, no. You're okay, good guilty. for them. Yeah. So then she was sentenced to 40 years to life in prison. She was 42 years old at the time when mm-hmm. she was put away. Um, Julie was interviewed in jail and said, quote, because of what I've gone through with my husband and the abuse that I've suffered, I'm planning and working with a couple of people to start the Julie Harper Foundation as a charity <laughs> benefiting victims of domestic violence and their families. <laughs> That is ridiculous. <laughs> no, just like Betty Broderick, all the interviews she did, and all, and like she wanted to help out with the books and the shows and the movies. It's like you're, you killed your husband, right? You're not, you're not a victim. You're why no. are you still? Jason is the victim in all of this, exactly. And she doesn't give a shit about him, obviously. So Jason's friends and families, they all said that Julie basically tormented a very good and decent man. And then mm. he, she threw him under the bus to save her own skin, which right. is very true. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. Then they in the interview, they asked her, why did you get pregnant? And she said, I was such a good parent that I had that much love to give to another child. And I really wanted to be able to give and share that love with my daughter, who I love more than anything in the world. Mm-hmm. Now you're in jail, so right? Now your daughter. Now your daughter like is going to have to live the rest of her life like without her mother, right? Yeah, and- you were. Can you imagine being born and finding out like why you were born? Oh my god! In yes. because and in between trials of your mom being accused of killing your father, like right. Uh, well, not father because it oh, was IVF, but, but still, regardless really her, of her husband. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, damn. And then getting being raised by your grandparents, which apparently they're very loving to their grandchildren. So that baby is now, what, seven, eight years old if this no, was in yeah. 2015? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man. That's, I know. Yeah, she's that's little, still she's little. Like, you know, not mm-hmm. those poor kids. But, yeah, so – um. Oh, and then there was a new update that um, in, let's see, in December of 2022, mm-hmm. Julie had actually requested for a resentencing of her um, of her 40 years to mm-hmm. life in prison, because apparently there was a law passed in California that um, judges can have more flexibility and leeway to choose the amount of years and change them so they can add more or less or just keep the same. So apparently she wanted to apply for that. And um, she wrote letters to the judge and she prepared a statement of apology, which she did apologize. She said, I am overwhelmingly sorrowful for all the pain and suffering that I have caused. And she mentioned that she's been working for good causes and that she's been behaving well in Las Colimas and that she's a good person and she's reborn. Um, so let's see what after that. She, then let's see, sorry. Um, oh, at this retri- resentencing trial, uh, prosecutor Watanabe was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> good for him. He, he came back in person because uh, apparently this was a virtual hearing for Julie, like, there was I I don't know if because of maybe COVID, the during COVID maybe or I, no uh, well in twenty twenty two I think yeah okay. so yeah so um he showed up he was able to speak on behalf of Jason's family and especially his mother who is currently taking care of all the children oh, man. and that he pled basically to the judge to not reduce the four year sentencing that she belongs in jail and that she you know she killed an innocent man right um and the judge did not. He, he denied her resentencing request. Good. So Good. she's still there in jail. She is currently 50 years old in Las Colimas. And yeah, she's going to be there until she's about 80 years 87 old. 87 or right? 87 or so. Mm-hmm. So that is the story of uh, Jason Harper, who was murdered by his wife, Julie Harper. God. 
Yeah, I just, I, I could never understand why someone can't just divorce them, divorce their <laughs> spouse and just let them go about their life. I mean. Why do you have to freaking murder them? I know. And it's like, it. I don't get it either because maybe she was going to lose a lot of things in the divorce, which is a big reason why these people murder one another. Like, but it seemed like. With Jason, if he was, like, such a good guy and stuff, mm-hmm. he wasn't going to try to take anything away from her. He was a teacher and a coach. Like, he's right. – like he was, like, you know, swimming in money. If anything, it was her family that was giving her all the money. And she was ruining her own credit and had bad spending issues. But probably because she was given everything in her life. You know, right. she wasn't working for it. So he was getting sick of that because he was working for his money. Right. You know, and so, like – and, yeah, I guess – I don't know what the hell she just snapped. And I wonder if those medications somehow did something like in her brain to make her just. Yeah, I know. I wish there was more detail. I didn't find anything specifically about that. Um, But yeah, she's rest in peace to Jason. Poor guy. Yes. Rest in peace to Jason Harper. Like so sad what happened to him and essentially like to what his three biological children, like that's horrible. But now. Yeah. Uh, Julie is sitting in Las Colinas. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you know, some, someone, some woman is making her, her bitch. For real. <laughs> and you know what? If you look at the photos of her, what she looks now, like now, she's 50, right? She mm-hmm. looks like Betty Broderick. She, they look like they have blonde oh, hair, like a little bit wavy, slash <sighs> curly hair. They both have like big cheeks, like kind of like big round faces. They both have a like yes. reddish skin, like you know, like they have the that natural like um, blushing kind of. And yes. White, like colored eyes, like they look. Oh very- my gosh, Arena! I'm looking at a photo of her. <laughs> yeah, she looks very similar to Betty Crazy. Broderick, and then it, it has a picture of um, Jason to the side, and he's holding. Aww. Like volleyballs and yeah, you no, know, he just looks like a really like he was a sweet man. Yeah. Regardless, at the end of the day, nobody deserves to be murdered. Like right, unless like you're a childhood rapist or yeah, <laughs> you know something like that. But but yeah, I mean, I I do wonder though sometimes the medication because I know people who have gotten on it for anxiety, depression, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and it, it has changed them and it, it it's made some of my friends be somebody completely different yeah. i don't know but i mean she yeah rest in peace to jason and mm-hmm. i can't even imagine you know what his mom like now having to raise these three children who are who are so young and yeah grieving the loss of her son while trying to be strong and take care of his children that's so so sad it sucks too because um apparently none of like jason's family members ever really interviewed um, they never wanted to speak out. What, well, from what I got, it was all of the friends and neighbors. A lot of just friend and neighbor accounts. I wonder like, why the family didn't. I don't know. They just none of them ever wanted to be in front of the camera. They didn't want to be interviewed. They didn't want to say anything. They're just and then they. I think the only person they were speaking to was um, the prosecutor because he kept saying on on the behalf of you know Jason's mother, Jason's father, mm-hmm. blah, blah blah. We say we agree. Please do this and that to the judge. So. Yeah, but I bet they're just really obviously very upset and they just – at least they right. have the ch- kill, the children, though, to um, pass on. Uh, like a little piece of Jason. Yeah, at least, I guess. Yeah. And, and now, she like, got put away, the murder, so. Right. Yeah. And she admitted to it, like, right? Yeah. She admitted to it. So, yeah. So, rest in peace to Jason. Irene, I've never heard of this case. So, you you told it. Well, I've never heard of this case. I know. And it's really nice to have you back on, like, telling a case. Like, it's really good. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, um, I'll do more if you want. Yes. And there are a few more, um, like I said before, San Diego cases. But I don't know. This one was just more interesting to me. The other Mm -hmm. ones. It it was. mm -hmm. The other ones were are interesting. Of course, all cases are important but yeah i was like damn this one is crazy <laughs> it is it was and you did a good job at telling it Thank and you. um so i have my my next case almost finished so i'll tell oh. it and then hopefully 
You'll have yours done soon after, so you can tell your story, whatever case you choose. Sounds good, yeah. And of course, if any listeners have any uh, recommendations of any stories for us to tell, any cases, please send it over our way on our Instagram. Yeah, please do, because we are kind of running out of ideas, and it's just hard to Mm -hmm. find um, bigger cases that have more, um, you know, information available to actually create an episode out of so if you guys have any ideas or if we missed one please let us know yes and i will say um i've been working for a while now on a case um i think i shared with your arena the hawthorne inn in binkers hill san diego yeah okay so the daughter of um one of the victims that you know one of the young girls that were murdered i've been talking with her daughter <gasps> And so um, back in February of this year, she asked me to hold off to talk about the case um, for her for certain reasons or whatever. And so I've held off and she we've been having phone conversations. And so now she gave me the okay to tell the story. So I'm just waiting for her to send me over some other stuff. Because the crazy thing about this case is we think it might be tied um to some other murders that were taking place at the same time in San Diego that involved uh, corrupt police officers. Ooh, that sounds It's really, really good, Arena. It's really, really sad. And it's just, you know, okay. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So, anyways, all that stuff is almost finished. Um, but I, I want to make sure I give this woman the respect and her letting me release this episode if not i have another case already almost finished okay sounds good Ooh, well you got me all interested i can't wait <laughs> <laughs> well thank you everyone for listening to our podcast yeah thank you and uh we hope you keep listening and uh like i said please send recommendations please comment on our page and we'll hope to see you guys next time bye bye